Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Not Just Another Sports Podcast. I'm here with longtime fan, part-time co-host, Price Carter. What's going on, man? First-time caller. First-time caller. First-time caller. Yes, I forgot. That's right. Uh, Hey guys, love the show. Just wanted to say big-time fan and glad to be back. Um, It's good to be talking about playoff football and, uh, you know, we're, we're recording this as of Tuesday evening. So all the playoff football is over. And I think, you know, me and you were talking a little bit pre-pod, but I think, you know, most of the results were what we thought, but the way it happened was definitely entertaining. Oh yeah. I mean, like, I think we all kind of expected the bills and Bengals to make it through. Uh, there were some upsets on the, the NFC side, which I'd like to get to first, but yeah, everything about went according to plan. If you were a NFL better, if you had some parlays out for just the money lines, I think you probably did pretty good this weekend. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, here's, well, well, let's start with this game because I feel like this game was kind of the least inconsequential. Like it kind of fell at a weird time during the day and I feel like not many people watched it, but the, uh, the Vikings giants game, I don't know if we can call that an upset. I know it was by seed and I do get it, but that Vikings team, I, everyone saw through what that was. And, you know, I, I thought it was great for the giants. I, I, they did some nice things in that game, but at the end of the day, the the Vikings were a team that had the best win percentage of the turnover di- differential and points allowed and everything that they had of any team like ever, like they were just kind of the luckiest bad defense to have ever made it that far. Well, I don't want to say everyone saw it because I definitely had them going on to the next round in their bracket. I just thought the Giants were that bad, but low key giant superstar and hopeful MVP Daniel Jones has been playing like incredibly well. There we go. My flowers are finally coming to me. (laughs) I was just a year early on the Daniel Jones MVP train, but I mean, yeah, I, Here's the thing. The Giants have a way that they want to play a game, right? They want to get Saquon involved. They want to get Daniel Jones involved in the run game. They want to hit those guys in stride, your Darius Slaytons, some of those guys that they have in the off, you know, in the offense. They they play a very specific brand of football. And the you know, one of the kind of undertold storylines was they were a little banged up in the secondary. They got a Dory Jackson back. It's a good corner. And the Vikings are a one-dimensional team. You know, they are predominantly a team that's going to move the ball to the passing game and to the giants credit, they really executed a plan. Well, they said, Hey, they are not going to be moving the ball through the air with Justin Jefferson. They can cut carve us up with TJ Hawkinson, but TJ Hawkinson, he's not Travis Kelsey and he's not George Kittle. He's not just, he's just not that explosive. And he went for over hundred yards in that game, but it, it wasn't the dagger that killed him. They were able to control Dalvin cook and Justin Jefferson and they put pressure on Kirk Cousins when he needed to. Dexter Lawrence had a fantastic game. He's one of the best nose tackles in football. And it was a it was a great performance. And, you know, I think, you know, just big picture, one of the things that I have come away from the NFL this year is that coaching matters. And I know we always knew it, but this was just such a great year to remember that. Seeing, like, the transformation of Trevor Lawrence and Daniel Jones and also the negative transformations, right, like, how quickly the Kyler Murray situation has eroded or the Russell Wilson situation, like coaching really matters. And they're doing the things that Daniel Jones does best for him. So I, you know, I, I, I called for the giants to win that game. I don't necessarily think that you can pound your chest and be like, Whoa, this was such a great, you know, a ballsy pick or something, but ultimately they got it done. 
Yeah, well, and as long as we're giving our flowers out, Brian Dayball deserves some credit here. I mean, like what he did with Josh Allen in Buffalo and then coming to New York where they thought they had wasted that first round draft pick on Daniel Jones. And now he seems like a competent quarterback who's going to get paid an upwards of $40 million a year, $35 million a year. And I think without him, I mean, we've seen kind of Josh Allen take a step back this year as far as turnovers go and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, you said it pretty well. Coaching matters. Brian Dayball, one of the best coaches, actually, as it turns out, for quarterbacks in this league. Like, and speaking more about the game, um, Daniel Jones, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the stats here. He was efficient. He went, well, sort of efficient, 24 for 35 with 301 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, but he spread the ball out. I mean, let's see, what is there? Six players with catches here, and three of them had over 50 yards. Like, that's that's dealing, that's wheeling. And he also had 78 rushing yards, which, I mean, we always kind of knew he was a dual threat. But, again, he hadn't really put all of that together until Brian Dayball came into the fold. And, you know, I Vikings were my sweetheart pick. I had him before make a dent in the postseason but as it turns out having the 32nd ranked pass defense is not um I don't think you can put that on any team and expect them to go very far in the playoffs so they could have done a little bit better offensively I how do you feel about that Kirk Cousins throw at the end because I didn't hate it I didn't hate him not throwing past the sticks especially for what was going on he had people bearing down just a quick little throw out. I mean, obviously you're kind of saying, I hope my second tight end actually makes a play here in open space, which you're a skill position guy. That's, that's kind of what you are paid to do is make one guy miss. I didn't have as much of a problem with the depth of target of the throw, meaning it was behind the sticks. It's where it was thrown on the sideline. Like he basically had one direction to go. You know, if you're talking in the middle of the field, I, I, there's space there for the player to make the play, but that he would, you know, he had the boundary right next to him. It felt like re- even more challenging for him to go and make that play where it was. And who knows, you know, I, I know there's been a lot of breakdown on that play. Uh, Vikings Twitter is not somewhere that I dive in deep very often, but I have seen a lot of discourse about the play itself. And I mean, look, we, we ultimately know, and this goes for both teams, the Vikings and the giants, right? I, I try not to make every point come back to Patrick Mahomes, but if it happens, it happens. The point is, is that teams like the Giants and the Vikings, they sit around in January talking about, oh, if they just made that one play, they wouldn't have called that stupid holding on Eric Fisher on the two-point conversion. We would have beat the Steelers. The difference is quarterbacks like Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen don't leave the game down to just one play. They make the other plays that make that one play don't matter. And yes, there have been games where it felt like the game turned on a single play. Of course, that's that's the sport of football. But in games like that, when they matter, they either make that play or they make so many other plays that it doesn't matter, you know? And that is that is the same remorse and the same song and dance that Giants fan are, fans are going to be singing next year whenever they're paying Daniel Jones $35 million APY and Saquon Barkley gets $15 million APY. And they've got all that salary cap tied up in a mediocre quarterback and a running back that's going to do what running backs do and get hurt. You know, and I honestly, they found a great coach and that's great for the Giants. But having been on both sides of it, I I pity Giants fans and just like that they're having to like look at themselves in the mirror and, you know, pretend to smile and say like, oh, we're so happy. Daniel Jones is doing so much better. 
Like he was getting praised in that game, and I get it was a a, a heady play, but where he took that rollout and then he took the sack instead of throwing it away, we were praising him for giving getting a sack. Like that is grading on the curve to the ultimate degree. Oh well, yeah, absolutely. But to bring it back to that thirty-five APY, is that really that detrimental to this team? Like I understand that the Giants, nobody expects them to go to the Super Bowl this year, but. I think there's a reasonable argument you could say that Daniel Jones is now the second best quarterback in the AFC East. And the AFC East is AFC East, you mean NFC East. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, oh my gosh, man. I he's, I, he's not I know, better than Dak. He's not better than Dak Prescott. He's not. Like 15 touchdowns to five interceptions is what he threw this year. 15 touchdowns. That's, well. that's a full season. A full yeah, well, season of him. And I understand the weapons weren't great, but guess what? Whenever you pay him 35, you're opting out of those weapons too. Like, and by the way, they don't have these top, like they had two top 10 picks this year, right? Like Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. It's the haul that they got. That's not happening anymore. Like you're picking in the twenties. Now those great players are gone. Like the, 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 the riches are disappearing quickly for them. Yeah. The, the rate of improvement is not going to get any bigger i mean like you're not going to be picking as efficiently in the later rounds of the draft but Dak prescott also led the league in interception ratio this year i mean he was 23 and 15 touchdown to interceptions and the team i mean what has he had one good playoff game in the past well first of all this is their only win that they've had since Dak has been there but he he it's not like he's throwing the ball all around the field and you're talking I, I, about guys that, I, that I just he has don't, to add to the offense. I mean, I just don't think we can sit here and praise Brian Dable and call him coach of the year and how awesome he is and might give Matt Ka- Mike Kafka a head coaching job after one year of OC. And then the same breath said, say Daniel Jones is better than Dak Prescott. I understand coaching matters. I, Dak Prescott, full body of work, is a good quarterback. He, he has we gone did that exact same thing with Josh Allen, though. With With who? With Brian Dayball, Josh Allen was a mid-tier quarterback who was throwing the ball behind his head, trying to make plays. Brian Dayball comes in, cleans it up. Now he's on level with Patrick Mahomes and, oh, why am I? My Joe man, Burr. My Joe man Burr. 15 touchdowns and five interceptions. We need to see a lot more from Daniel Jones, like a lot more, like – 20 more touchdowns or at least 15 more touchdowns and we need to see level of success sustained like that argument works for josh allen year one but then he came back and did it again and now he's done it again and dak prescott like full body of work like like, you know i saw someone with the moronic take like you know mike kafka needs to be put in the same conversation as kyle shanahan and andy Reid. absolutely not you want to know why longevity matters a lot being able to do it one year and then readjusting to the adjustments in the offseason and coming back and doing it again and again that longevity matters a lot 15 and 5 isn't good enough for one year to say that he's even on the scale of Dak Prescott but to, he, he's got to do it for a couple of years before we start like saying that and like Dak Prescott's full body work says that he's a pretty good quarterback he had a rough year this year and I think if you do go back and watch some of his games there are some of those you know, he had some of the Mahomes interception luck from earlier in the year where there were definitely some balls that just bounced into people's hands. But he was careless with the ball. And I think this is what it looks like when you have an Alex Smith level quarterback, which I think Dak Prescott is, go and try to make all the plays. 
You know, he he was kind of carrying the weight of the offense. He doesn't have Amari Cooper anymore. He feels the need to force the ball to C.D. Lamb. The offensive line isn't as good as it once was, though it's improved here down the stretch. So, I I mean, I just, of all the things, I, I don't think that that's there. And, I you know, I think Jalen Hurts obviously deserves to be put over him in that conversation, too. Well, I think that goes without saying, though. He's been absolutely outstanding this year. I mean, he's in the MVP conversation. So, anyway. Uh, let's go ahead and move to Seahawks 49ers. This is, if you were watching at the Brock Purdy coming out party, he threw for three touchdowns, one rushing touchdown as well. So four total. And he looked sharp, man. He's tossing the ball down the field. So do you believe that he is better than Patrick Mahomes or an average quarterback? Because I feel like there's only two possible takes you can have here. Like the next Tom Brady or, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo, but ugly, excuse me. I think if you watch that game, you could see that there were a couple of passes that he made early that definitely could have been picked that kind of had some of that good Mahomes magic there. Um, you know, I, I think we were talking a little bit about this before the podcast. I think when you look at him and what he's had to do, the, you, you can't do anything but praise the job he's done. Like he, he's done very, very good. And I think he's, he's brought a lot of poise to the offense. He's not letting any of this get to his head. He's executed extremely well inside the offense he's brought a little bit of mobility to that offense as well which you know they were going for with the Trey Lance thing but much more mobile than Jimmy G with all that being said he's in the most successful system for what he is right like there nobody makes a backup quarterback look good better than Kyle Shanahan and that offense is chocked full of weapons I think you know I definitely think that he could make the Super Bowl like this in this structure. I'm not necessarily sure he can win the Super Bowl because winning four playoff games against great teams is hard. And what I what I was telling you is I I personally feel that you can draw a lot of similarities to this team to the 2019 Baltimore Ravens. Obviously Brock Purdy's not winning MVP. The way they did it was a little bit different, but the 2019 Ravens were just stacked on both sides of the ball. A great defense a great offense with a lot of weapons. Um, I think, you know, the 49ers are more d- dynamic in the passing game than, you know, Willie Sneed and uh, Hollywood Brown and some of the guys that they had on that Ravens team, Mark Andrews. But the way that they play is very similar. They are going to hit you with the run and they're going to keep running the ball. And then when that run game gets you scared, they're going to hit the pass and they play good enough defense that they're going to take the ball away and they're going to take care of the ball because they run the ball well. The only thing that happened to that 2019 Ravens team is they turned over the ball a couple of times and then the the running stopped being an option. You know, whether we're talking about next year or long-term, what is Brock Purdy? I think the most important thing is that Brock Purdy's yet to show what it looks like when he's got to go and and get 14 points. You know, when he's down seven and has a minute to drive the field and running the ball is not really an option anymore. I need to see what it looks like when they are negative three in the turnover differential what it looks like when he's got Micah Parsons coming off the edge. Now, granted, it, it could happen that they never face that situation this year. It's very possible. But ultimately, I think, you know, he's doing a great job and they're going to have a hard time moving off of him in the offseason for sure. Oh, yeah. And I, well, I'd say I would hate it. I would actually love to be in that situation Kyle Shanahan's going to be in where it's like, hey, do I choose this first round rookie that we traded all this draft capital to, to get, or do I bring up this guy who has played incredibly well in the regular season and 
is kind of the hot hand right now. I mean, obviously, if you go into this Cowboys game that they're going to be playing and don't do incredibly well, uh, it's going to be a different story. But with that being said, I mean, you have three legitimate options in your offense there with Jimmy Garoppolo added, added as well. So they're kind of in this like purgatory where you don't, it seems like any move, if it's not outstanding, is going to be the wrong decision. They, they just have too much. It says, it sounds weird to say this. It sounds like they have too much um, upside at that position. And that's not typically a position where you're choosing who's going to be the starting quarterback going into the season. Um, if you have Super Bowl aspirations. Now, luckily, Kyle Shanahan is such a great coach. I don't think it's really going to matter all that much. But again, I mean, really what I think this boils down to is, is where you have Brock Purdy ranked in your quarterback. Like, is he a Skylar Thompson, like a late round quarterback who just, you know, you're going to throw in there when shit hits the fan and you need, uh, need a body at the position, or is he like a Daniel Jones type of guy, apparently who will come in and be serviceable and, and, play efficient football or is he better than Jimmy Garoppolo that's another uh storyline that I I have heard a whole bunch about this this past week is he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo he might be better than Trey Lance well he's the last guy picked in the drafts I don't know if you can take one season and and fully evaluate him on that scale but I think depending on where you have him that that really kind of changes your outlook on your expectations for the rest of the season as well as next season what what the 49ers going to do now personally I do think he's better than Skylar Thompson um but it's a tough call between him and Jimmy G I understand that Jimmy G has has played some really good football but it's not like he's a superstar you know he's he's no Dak Prescott he's no Daniel Jones I mean these these guys are elite we gotta I don't know if you can put him above any of those guys either but what do you think? Where, where do you kind of have him in your quarterback rankings? Well, I think, uh, you know, again, the full body of work is just going to be able to tell us how things really are. You know, there was a time there when Colin Kaepernick looked like he was going to be the next best thing in the quarterback, uh, you know, field. And that that went away. You know, I one thing, this situation just reminds me a lot of the RG3 um, Kirk Cousins thing back in Washington. Like, I'm not necessarily sure if they make a deep run here. I don't know how you just have an all out competition with both of those guys in the locker room. Like it, it may just be such a toxic situation with Trey Lance and him. Um, you know, I think weighing the weapons and, you know, we can't sit here and take things away from Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes because they've got weapons and then sit here and put Brock Birdie in the top 10, you know, so Right now, I mean, he's to me, he's still, you know, in that 20 to 15 range. You can certainly do worse. You can certainly do better just because we've not seen him do some of the things that other quarterbacks have done. You know, obviously, this is a Chief-centric podcast. Like, I think one of the best games of Patrick Mahomes' career, one of his legacy games is that game where they went one in L.A. Like, they went one the division, no Juju, MVS was banged up. No, uh, no Kadarius Tony, no McCole Hardman. He was dropping bombs to Justin Watson and Sky Moore, and it was just him and Kelsey. And like they went and they went and did it, you know. And those games, 
those are the legacy builders that give you the right to, you know, start off every tier at one or two or three. And, you know, Allen and Burrow and some of those other guys that we talk about in that conversation, they've had their games, you know, like talk about the AFC, like Trevor Lawrence put some cash in that bank this weekend, like coming back from four interceptions and down 27-0, like we're going to need to see it from Brock Purdy right now. Like, you know, he's, he's, uh, a trust fund baby. He's been gifted everything in life as far as quarterback goes. Every quarterback would rival his situation. What, you know, how many quarterbacks wouldn't look amazing in that situation? Yeah, I mean, and that's a fair point. I don't I don't think we can truly, you know, give a pure evaluation on him with all that talent around him. With that being said, Patrick Mahomes was still slinging it uh when he had all those weapons. So it, it is kind of rough to to put him there, but I guess we should move on to the AFC games and a top 10 quarterback, maybe with Trevor Lawrence, the Jags come back 31 30 to the chargers called it at halftime. I'd like my flowers. I did see it. Um, I did see you tweet that. It yes. I, I got the score a little bit score wrong. Was wrong 30 27. Right. Yes. But still I, I called that chargers collapse. Now we were talking before the podcast again. Uh, we do a lot of talking before these podcasts, but that Chargers defensive line, I think, is really who you're going to have to blame. I, I get the Joe Stay or Joe Staley. I get the uh, the head coach hate. I, I understand that you probably want to run the football a little bit more, but I just don't see how you can look at that game and and after watching it, not say where the hell are Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. Like I, I guess we saw where Joey Bosa was. He was throwing a tantrum on the sidelines and then proceeded to throw a tantrum in the post-game presser afterwards, but what, what are those guys doing? Like wh- where, I don't understand how you could pay that much for a line, a defensive line, and it make no impact in the game. Well, yeah, I guess I can. We're Chiefs fans. Uh, but I mean, like that was a Chiefs fans D-line performance if I've ever seen one. Well, you know, one, one thing that's been really interesting about the whole dialogue here is for some reason, and I do get it. A lot of the hate towards the Chargers collapse has been geared towards the performance of the offense. Three points in the second half, you know, sounds a little familiar. Heard it here in Kansas City in a meaningful playoff game. It's just unacceptable with that level of quarterback and that level of talent that was on the field. Um, I thought, you know, losing Sawyer, the left tackle, was pretty significant in that game. The Jags pass rush wasn't getting home early, and then it started getting in late. The the scheme is definitely a problem, but you're not wrong. I mean, Brandon Staley is supposed to be this great defensive mind. And I'm always told how good of a defensive mind he is and how great the talent is on that side of the ball. And they give up 31 straight points. You know, it's, it's unacceptable. And that, and that shouldn't have happened, especially whenever you consider if I told you in March, like, Hey, the Jar- chargers are going to get in a game where they get five turnovers and be up 27, nothing. And they've got Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, Austin, or, you know, Austin S- Sebastian day rushing the passer. Like you would say, Oh, well, you know, they're going to have like six or seven sacks and they, they didn't. And, you know, bringing this back to chicken or egg, is it Joe Lombardi? Is it Brandon Staley? Why, you know, Joey Bosa said part of the reason why he was ineffective in that game, besides his absolute toddler temper tantrum, was he was playing on one leg because he was injured in a game because he was probably pushed coming back early, which they consistently do. And then they put him in a meaningless game in week 18 against the Denver Broncos. 
And oh, by the way, Mike Williams broke his back. Like how much more comical of an injury could it be? Like I'm trying lacerated spleen or something just more comical. Broken back. You you know, this fragile wide receiver who's been fragile pretty much his whole career. A jump ball guy who relies on that broken back. And he's missing for this game. I'm sure they could have used Mike Williams in this game too. So, you know, I think every person who has seen the Chargers enough didn't turn that game off. Like I, I heard a few people turn that game off, but I, I did not because you just knew. And I thought, okay, they scored right before half. Let's see what happens. Because like basketball or anything like that, you know, you get a, a 12-2 run in basketball. The 12 points by the offense is great, but also you got to get some stops. You know, when the Chiefs had to come back from 24-0 against the Texans, the defense had to get some stops. And the Chargers offense stalled. So the defense was giving it up and the offense had stalled. Personally, for me, I... <laughs> I, I don't see how they could keep going with Brandon Staley. It's not about the collapse. It's not about the week 18. It's about all of it. It's about the way that he, you know, last year was so aggressive. And then this year is completely backed off of it. He was clearly impacted by the media and is afraid to stick to his guns. And it's that he has a defense with all this talent and it's not achieving at the level and that he had to go a whole season with Joe Lombardi when anyone could have told you that that was a move that should have been made. It's the full body of work for me. And, you know, Justin Herbert should probably get an extension this year around March or April. They might go into the summer, but he will probably get a new deal. He's got about two more years of being cheap. He'll have this year of his, they usually keep the rookie deal intact. And then they do the fifth year option rate. So he'll probably be, you know, cheap for the next two years, but, but that's it. That's all they have of this rookie window that's left. And they're effectively tying Justin Herbert's, Herbert's rookie window to Brandon Staley. You know, he had that one year where he took over with um, the old coach escaping me right now. He used to be a running back. Uh, and then it's all been Staley. And if Staley ends up getting fired in two or more, two more years, you've basically wasted that whole window screwing around with Brandon Staley, a defensive-minded coach, which, by the way, you know, the other guy who was – a front runner for that job. And I actually thought had the job and then they announced Brandon Staley, Brian Dable. So I'm sure that they feel great about that. Yeah. An excellent decision by the Spanos family. Again, um, maybe one of the worst things to happen to that franchise since well, it's, I guess the, the owner like went to high school with Brian Dable or something like some really strong connection. Like everyone just had them pegged for Dable. And I, I remember thinking like, oh man, this could be dangerous. And then they didn't hire him. They hired Staley and then Dable had to go a whole nother cycle before he got the Giants kick. Yeah, but I didn't really hate that hire when it happened. I mean, obviously we didn't know really what Brian Dable was other than the guy who fixed Josh Allen. I'm, and I mean, you saw it with Peyton Manning's offense and the Jets former head coach whose name is escaping me. Um, that doesn't always translate being that guy doesn't always translate. So, I mean, I didn't hate the hire, especially with him being as aggressive as he was. But again, that lack of identity, that lack of, of sticking to your guns, like, Hey, we're a team that goes for it on fourth and three, no matter where the hell we are on the field. Like that as a chiefs fan, when we were playing them, that scared me that that put something in you where like, even if they go 50% on those it's going to equal two or three more touchdowns in this game because it's all going to come on one drive the Chiefs are going to not be able to get off the field 
And, you know, now our defensive ga- defense is gassed and we know Mahomes can score at any moment. So maybe it's two plays, maybe it's seven plays, then the defense is back in and they're just wiped out. So that aspect of the, of his coaching strategy, he just completely left behind. And I think you could maybe point to, to media ousting as, as one of the reasons why, but that's something that you can't give up, especially when that is your calling card. Like what, what is the chargers team now? What's their identity? We pass the football. Okay. A, a lot of teams do that. You, you have one of the best running backs in the league. You don't want to run the football. There's just so many aspects of, of this team that just like creating a clear identity is one, maybe one of the most important jobs a head coach can have. And that just seems to be absent with this team. Now, there's been a lot of talk about who would you rather have over the next 10 years, Justin Herbert or excuse me, Trevor Lawrence. Um, that to me is a bit ridiculous. That, that to me is when you start to, to delve into the, okay, this, this is a major overreaction to one game. Justin Herbert has been really, really good since he stepped on the field against us. What was that back in 2020, 2019? He's been incredible ever since this is the first real Jags game where Trevor Lawrence has kind of balled out. Um, where, where do you kind of stand on that? Are you a Trevor Lawrence truther or do you follow Nick Wright? <clears throat> so to, to kind of come back a little bit to the beginning, I, I think one thing about the Staley hiring that was a little bit of a concern, you know, Michael Lombardi, or not like Michael Lombardi, he's the guy who's written some football books. Joe Lombardi, uh, he was a cycle of the Sean Payton tree and, um, you know, I think one of the most unrated things that Brian Dable did that Brandon Staley failed to do is if you're a guy on a certain side of the ball and you become a first-time head coach, go get a home run guy, a guy that you don't have to mess with that side of the ball at all. They went and got Wink Martindale, a great defensive coordinator with a great reputation, who about 20 teams could have easily considered firing their DC and hiring Wink Martindale and had an upgrade. Dable did that and said, run the defense. And Dable has been able to focus in on that and then brought a very different different type of mind in in Kafka. Staley, I personally feel like, did not go out and do that. He went and got someone who was, you know, a first-time OC with Joe Lombardi. And, you know, you, you think about like an Eric Bienemy or someone like that. That's a name that could have come to mind. Also a first-time coordinator. Or he could have went and got someone who had done it before. Well, hold and, on. Do you think that that was Joe? Do you think that was Brandon Staley? I don't know why I keep calling him Joe Staley. Uh, Brandon Staley's decision, or do you believe that went up to the top? Because I mean, typically, Spano's family is is kind of notorious for not yeah. wanting to pay head coaches. Yeah, I, I can't speak to that. I don't. Or coordinate. know that. I I, I t- traditionally just thought that coaches hire their staffs that they bring in their guys, you know, and you know it, it's completely possible. So I, you know, I think again, some of that kind of comes back on Staley. You're you're in charge of the staff that you bring in. And I, you know, ultimately it's a full body of work. And to me, full body of work with Staley just says that I don't see how the locker room can, can really love him and support him and have his back the whole way with some of this stuff. I, I, I just don't see it. Going back to kind of the, the quarterback situation, you know, I think, I think you've got two very different quarterbacks in that game. I think you've got someone with Justin Herbert who has the skill and the ta- talent and the the ability to be a top-tier quarterback, right? You know that with Justin Herbert. You see it from play to play. 
he's played an offense that's not really complimented him well. And also, I think, you know, at sometimes his weapons are overstated. I think Austin Eckler is good, not great. I think he does some things well, not everything. I think, you know, the wide receivers, Mike Williams is a great contested ball guy, but struggles to be healthy and only does some things well. And then I think Keenan Allen is, you know, getting getting over the hill a little bit. I think he's still a great player, but none of those guys are, you know, Hall of Fame level weapons or people that put real fear into into you. And the tight end position has been just kind of a mismatch. Great offensive line, Slater um, on the left side when he's healthy, Lindsley. They've got some guys on there. Zion Johnson, great pick out of Boston College that they took this year. Um, but, you know, it – you're talking about a guy who has the potential to be that upper echelon. Meanwhile, Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be that guy. And I frankly think Trevor Lawrence's future is going to look very, um, you know, very Derek Carr, very Alex Smith. I think you look at a lot of what he did in that game. It was a lot of dinking and dunking. Most of what he does is kind of in that mid range. The deep ball is not something that he does particularly well. He doesn't have, the natural arm strength that some of these guys has. He doesn't, you don't see those off platform throws that you see from your Allens and your Mahomes and your Herberts, you know, and I don't think he's quite so systematic to be Joe Burrow. He doesn't seem to have that, that um, pocket presence to be able to stand up there and do that. I think Doug Peterson ran very much the Alex, Alex Smith offense with him. And I think that's a great comparison. Another one, one, who looked awful in an unfriendly system and they got a good system. I think, you know, he's a little bit more athletic than he gets credit for in the six, six frame and everything, but also like the number of balls that he gets batted at the line of scrimmage for being six, six. I'm not sure what arm slot he's throwing from that. He's getting that, but I, you know, I, I think he's good, not great. And I think, you know, we're talking about the rookie quarterback contract here again with him, you know, he, Trevor Lawrence looks great when he's getting paid, you know, rookie money but when he starts getting up there and because of who he is and the brand that he has and everything like he's one of those guys that's going to expect top of the market money and it'll be a lot more difficult to win with him ultimately if we're talking full body of work i'm hoping for his sake that justin herbert gets a better offensive coordinator i'd probably take justin herbert considering he's pretty much any quarterback stats that starts with from their first year instead of first-year starting, goes Justin Herbert. Now, first-year starting usually goes Patrick Mahomes. They manipulate that stat different ways, but Herbert's on an upwards trajectory and has done it despite some things. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you there. Now, we'll move on to one of the last games in the AFC, the excuse me, Dolphins and Bills. Uh, talking about head coaches, Mike McDaniel caught some criticism because of his lack of awareness of the play clock. Uh, how did you feel about that game in general? Because I came out of that game feeling like, not that they need to make a change, but there should be some serious concerns about the head coach uh, there in Miami. You know, I here's the thing. I think McDaniel's done some really good stuff. I think he got found out a little bit here in the later part of the year. I think, you know, obviously not having the quarterback is the biggest problem to us. Injury concerns definitely limited that team down the stretch. And like anything, I think he got found out a little bit, some of the tricks and stuff that he was doing to get players so open. I think one of the things that's been the most precarious about him is that he's a Shanahan disciple, and yet they seem to frequently go away from the run. And that's been something that Shanahan has 
always been a part of is, you know, turning and burning those running backs and keeping that outside zone. Yeah. Well, excuse me. Sorry. I'm <laughs> finding a little bit of cold here and had to hock up along, but I think, you know, I think there's no reason to move off of him. Um, you know, you've given him one year. I think more concerning is just the roster moves that that organization made, obviously forfeiting the 22nd overall pick for tampering with Tom Brady. Uh, you can't do that. And then trading a first for Bradley Chubb, who's made zero meaningful plays and giving him a hundred million dollars. Ridiculous. You know, the Tyree kill trade looked really good early and now it's not looking so great. And I, you know, he's a great player, but it doesn't mean a lot when you don't have the quarterback. So I understand he had some things that looked rough there. Also a third string quarterback. He's got to be better at managing the clock, but that's some of the stuff you expect with the first year head coach. Well, you do and you don't, right? There's there's something that you shouldn't really have to teach as a head coach, and, and that is clock management. You know that, especially in that last drive or the, the two or three drives leading up to that last drive, he was burning timeouts because he wasn't getting the, the ball in, or the, the play in, excuse me. And when you combine that with his regular season performance of starting off eight and three and then falling off a cliff, you start to draw some comparisons there between him and Cliff Kingsbury. Now, it's a little bit different there uh, between those two teams, especially because the Cardinals actually had like some legit playmakers. I, I understand that, or the, the Cardinals didn't have a bunch of legit playmakers. The Bills, obvious or the geez. The Dolphins obviously have, you know, weapons out the wazoo, but you're in a position here where you have a legit contending team. I mean, you made the trade for Bradley Chubb. I understand that he hasn't exactly panned out as well as you'd like for him to be, but they've got former first round picks, Jalen Phillips. They've got great secondary players. Like you're, you're in a position here where you should be winning a significant portion of your games and it shouldn't come down to missing or mismanaging the clock. And again, when, when you combine all those mistakes together and you look at his full year one as a coach, I think that it leaves a lot to be desired. You, you have two of the fastest players in the league. How are you not getting them yak, uh, yak targets? How are you not putting them wide open on the side of the past the hash for wide receiver screens and things like that? It just seems like there's a lack of creativity there. And part about being found out especially late in the season that's cliff kingsbury every year like start off strong make a mid-season kind of drift into a mediocrity and then never be seen or heard from again i i just i i would be afraid if i was a dolphins fan going into this upcoming season oh yeah um this is the season for kind of total capital for the offseason and there's been a lot of graphs made and the dolphins are pretty much the bottom left of every quadrant meaning you know they have the least amount of resources both cap and picks available and um they also kind of started doing a new thing where they do movable or uh expendable cap or like you know they can convert this or whatever and turn it into more cap space for lack of a better term they're screwed you know and there's Christian Wilkinson needs a new deal. Uh, he, you know, the sack numbers are eye popping, but if you watch the tape or just watch a game he plays in, he's a dynamic defensive player and he's going to get a good deal, you know, and he's definitely someone that's probably waiting for Chris Jones to get his deal done as well. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of questions there. And, you know, Oh, by the way, 
there's reasons to think that the Patriots, they have a ton of cap space this year. Um, you know, they'll, they're probably going to be a little bit better next year. I think that they'll hopefully eventually turn that talent management off of Bill Belichick. The Bills are getting better or at least maintaining and the Jets are getting better. So if you're a Dolphins fan, I think this was your window and this is what it was. And it, it's pretty unfortunate, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with, you know, division rivals playing as well. Like, I think everybody is pretty excited to see the Jets next year. And you have the uh, the Bills who have been like a bottom tier franchise for a really long time. Now they're kind of getting their footing again. Just seems like the Dolphins has never really had that. And, you know, you think you have that now with a first round pick Tua, and two incredible weapons in the wide receiver position and a good defense. I mean, like, it just kind of seems like they're, they're starting to get everything figured out. And then, oh, but the coach, you know, is not really doing a whole lot. Um, with that being said, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Josh Allen's play in this game, single-handedly keeping the Dolphins there. Are you afraid of either of these two AFC quarterbacks, the Josh Allen or the, the Joe Burrow? Now, Joe Burrow, I would understand if you, if you have some um, concerns regarding playing him, especially in the postseason. But Josh Allen, to me, he's kind of lost his luster. And we, we talked about it a little bit there with Brian Dayball's departure. But you look at this season and what a – you wouldn't really call it a failure because they played incredibly well, probably even deserved the one seed. Um, but you look at him and this was a team that was supposed to be built around him. Like he's the all-star, he's the Patrick Mahomes. We're going to live and die by his hand. And if you would have done that for the whole season and not had an incredible defense to help pick you up, they would probably be a mediocre team. I mean, not that Josh Allen had an incredibly bad season, but up to his standards, he's given the ball away. If you include fumbles, I believe the third most in the league, that to me is concerning. And especially coming into, uh, I guess, a neutral zone being if we would play them any conference championship game, that that to me doesn't really put any fear into me. I understand it's the Bills. They always play really well. But it just again, there's just, there's just something not grabbing me there. What, what about you? Are you are you afraid of either of these guys? Well, I mean, Yes, obviously. I think, you know, the biggest thing about the Chiefs getting the one seed was not having to face both of these guys, you know, in a, in a certain order. And I mean, they even got away without having to face Justin Herbert, which is obviously helpful. I think, you know, Josh Allen, he's always been a bit of, of a moose, right? Like kind of physically and throwing the ball and with turnovers, right? You you kind of can't take that out of him. I think one thing that's that's kind of been interesting this year for Allen is, is that the run game in some ways has, been, has really improved in the second half, not just for him, but with James Cook, Devin Singletary as well. And they've got Naheem Hines involved a little bit as well, more so in the passing game. But I think this offense misses kind of that third weapon that they had. Um, Gabe Davis, you know, everyone thought he was Jerry Rice after the Chiefs game. Turns out the Chiefs secondary was just really hurt that game and had no options. Gabe Davis is good, not great. And, you know, Stephon Diggs is a top five wide receiver for sure. But they don't they don't have the other guy. And they had Cole Bisley there for a little bit. I know he's back, but obviously a much different player now. And um, Emmanuel Sanders was kind of that guy for them last year. They're kind of looking for that other weapon. I think it does limit them at times in the passing game. And also quietly, that's not a particularly great offensive line that he's playing with. You know, Chiefs fans love Mitch Morris, but it, it's nothing special. 
And uh, I think I think he presses at times, and it, it definitely comes through. And I think he definitely misses Dable a little bit too. But ultimately, I think there's a lot to be afraid of with them, right? Like the the amount of balls that they were pressing down the field in that game, it was impressive. And there's some there's still some elite playmaking there. And the thing about Allen is is that there's so much that he can do outside of the pocket and then inside the pocket. And then when he steps up in the pocket that you really have to kind of defend every blade of grass with him with, with Burrow, especially with the offensive line in the state that it is right now, you do feel like that's probably the weaker opponent right now, just both defensively and offensively. I do think the secondary of the bills is very vulnerable. Um, you know, if I had my choice, it would be Cincinnati and Arrowhead versus Atlanta with Buffalo, especially because I don't want to sound like a hater. I'm not. It was a very serious situation. But the last thing I want to be is the team that's in the way of the Bills going to the Super Bowl for DeMar Hamlin, because the NFL, <laughs> I'm sorry, but that the, the situation has been a little a little over the top for uh, DeMar Hamlin. And I, I I just don't want to be in the situation where we're the team that's stopping them from going to the Super Bowl for DeMar Hamlin. And what do you, um, what do you mean by over the top? I think it might be important to, to clarify <laughs> what you mean by that. Well, I, I think that there, there was a lot of, a lot of reasons to be concerned about DeMar Hamlin and his safety and all those type of things. I think most of those issues are resolved now. I think that, you know, he's been discharged from the hospital. He's going to make it. And we are still doing tributes at the beginning of games for him. We are still talking about every single statistic that involves the number three. It's just, it's been a little, it's been a little over the top at times. And I think that like it, sometimes it has been not about DeMar Hamlin, but it's been about how much can you care about something that everyone else is caring about. And also like, I think that she, I, I think the NFL really cares about storylines and I think that that's a storyline and also just like the raw element of it. I think the players have something and I, you know, if DeMar Hamlin's is on the field in Atlanta with his teammates, I think that's going to provide a lot of motivation for them. And I also, you know, kind of on the flip side of it, we didn't really talk about this, but I, it, it frustrates me that it was just a, the chiefs are somehow the benefactor of a game that both teams refused to play because of a player injury there's zero reason why that game could not have been played later on that week or you know this week like and that was just kind of the conclusion I think the whole situation was just kind of handled poorly by the NFL and then by people in the media a little bit too um I think it needed to be treated as a serious situation but life does go on and um you know I it it sucks to say because I I don't want people to think that I don't care because I do care. And I think like it was a very serious situation and everything up until we started getting good news was definitely tolerated and needed and understood. But at some point it crossed the line of like, we care about DeMar Hamlin to like, look at how much I care. Do you care this much or do I care more? You know, I, w- I was just about to say that there, there is a certain like aspect of this where it's a comp- a caring competition as it comes to that. I mean, like you look at guys like Skip Bayless who posted an ill-timed tweet, right? And essentially he said, hey, this really doesn't matter, but how are they going to fix this game? Like, there's, we're in a situation now where are they going to resume? Because I wouldn't. Okay, well, when do we play the game next? It's kind of an important game. And that turns into a whole debacle on Twitter. And now you have people, his own co-host coming out and, and speaking out against that. Um, when in reality, it was just, hey, I, I think that, you know, the situation is bad. 
and I don't know how we proceed. Uh, I think that there is some, some of that residual competition caring uh, th that is still going on here, but I don't know. I just don't know how you can say, I, I mean, I understand your argument. So I, I don't want to come off as, as, you know, not paying attention to what you're talking about, but with the Bengals, there's just so much more to like. And they, I feel like, you know, as the media really deep focuses on these pitfalls of, of the Bengals, especially like as a Chiefs fan, all you hear about is the Bengals O-line is garbage. The Bengals O-line is garbage. They, they are starting Eli Apple at cornerback. It's like, yeah, well, the Bills are starting some pretty bad guys on the offensive line and in the secondary as well. We never hear about them. Like, oh, we, we hear about Mitch Morris because he gets a concussion every other week and he used to play for the Chiefs. But again, you're looking at a team where I think if you look at quarterbacks, I think it's maybe a toss up at this point. Who's a better quarterback, Josh Allen or Joe Burrow? You look at the weapons. I think that the Bengals have better weapons. I think you look at the pass rush. I think the Bengals have a better pass rush. You look secondary. The Bills might have a little bit better secondary than the Bengals do, but it's it's nothing crazy. And then the linebackers, I think, is probably a wash. Uh, but you look at those two teams. I I would just be absolutely, I, I won't say petrified, because I think Patrick Mahomes can beat anybody any day. But the Bengals for whatever reason seem to have our number. And even though they didn't play a perfect game against the Ravens and it took a 99 yard, excuse me, fumble ruski for them to win the game. It's not like, it's not like the chargers against the Jags, right? Where you have a team that's supposed to be a powerhouse who plays tough teams tight. It, it's the Ravens with an injured with it with a third round third string quarterback and injuries along the offensive line and running back issues and a defense who's missing some key pieces i mean like there's just to me there are levels to this and the Bengals, i think are are above and away the better team i don't think that the the situation as far as like the home game or the post or the away game really matters all that much uh, something to note though, I don't think Mahomes has ever won a, an away postseason game. Cause he's never played in any. So that, I mean, if, other, if that than Miami, is... other than Miami for the Super Bowl, no. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, I get what you're saying. You know, I, the biggest thing that has been an issue with the Bengals of late has been that the, the run game has really been non-existent. And a lot of that has been due to the offensive line injuries, not just the pass protection, but also the running game, because that's the thing about the Bengals is that you have to respect the quick passing game. You have to respect the deep ball, and then you have to respect the running game as well. And that's gone away at some point. They're not going to be able to out situational every team. Like that's kind of what happened. They, they're a little Patriots esque in that way. They just seem to do all the little stuff so well and I, you know, at some point that seems fluky, you know, that definitely was the case in the Ravens game. You know, they, they get that strip sack and go, no, I guess it's not a strip sack, just the fumble and the recovery and everything that game probably should have at least gone to overtime or resulted in them maybe even losing. And, you know, I think the bills are 
little bit of that team of destiny. They're going to, they're die hard. And I think that they have a lot of fight in them. They have a lot to believe, you know, going back to kind of like what I said about the DeMar Hamlin thing. It's not just about the internet sensation about it. it the team is, the team has a lot to play for. And I think that's ultimately why I think you're, wanting the Bengals to win because I think also the Chiefs have kind of played off the last three games as the Bengals of kind of a fluke you know even this year it was kind of a little bit of like oh we just beat ourselves and we go in there and play our game we can beat them no they I think the Chiefs are aware that the Bengals are a good team and would probably get every ounce of effort and I honestly think the best thing that happened for the Chiefs this week is that both the Bengals and Bills won so they have to go out there and play that game and put everything on the field and beating each other and then the Chiefs get you know, the lesser opponent, which the Jags are, and they get them at home. And yes, we want another playoff game in Arrowhead. It's great to have AFC championships in Arrowhead and bring the financial benefits to the city, all those type of things. And also it, it's an advantage, no doubt. Oh well, um, yeah. And it, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, you know, I was just going to say that you're not getting into the Super Bowl this year without playing one of those two guys. And they're very, very good quarterbacks. And I think you're looking at your next Manning Brady Roethlisberger combo with maybe every once in a while a wild card Joe Flacco in there yeah well, honestly I think that's a great comparison and looking on to this upcoming week with the Chiefs playing the Jags and the Bills and Bengals playing each other this is like a perfect situation for the Kansas City Chiefs and we, we talked before the season about how this was kind of a reboot year and some of those moves made late especially the Tyreek Hill trade kind of signified that hey we're we're building through the draft again we're getting you know we're taking a a pause this season to come back and put ourselves in a perfect position to contend in the near future, maybe one year out, maybe two years out, but we'll still be there and, and ready to, you know, claim the throne whenever these draft picks start to, to play a little bit better. Now, if you would have told me before the season that the bills and Bengals had to play each other and we had to play the Jags, which again, last year was the, uh, Oh, why can't I think of his name? The college coach that got caught cheating on his wife or whatever. They, they had the Urban Meyer situation. And uh, I mean, obviously the team has changed a lot since then. But looking at them and looking at two banged up rivals having to play each other in this game, it, it kind of makes me think that this was a year destined for the Chiefs. I mean, we lost Tyreek Hill. The offense got better statistically. I don't know if you can say that it's as good of a home run hitter or anything like that, but Mahomes has evolved. Um, there are some things situationally that the defense does better this year than it did last year. And we're in kind of this position where if we beat the Jags, there's a real chance that we play a banged up AFC rival in Arrowhead and we end up playing either the Eagles or the 49ers um, in a Super Bowl matchup that I think would probably favor the opponent, but would really, I mean, anytime you have 49ers chiefs, it's going to be a good matchup. Um, same thing with Eagles chiefs, a, a Kelsey Super Bowl would be incredible to watch. And oh man. Yeah. That podcast would be incredible, man. Yeah, that, would, that would be epic which if you guys aren't listening to, they just had the Gronk episode this past week. I'm halfway through it. It's amazing. Anyway, uh, the Chiefs are in like a perfect situation here. And that is kind of what gives me anxiety because if you're the Chiefs, right, you're looking at the Jags. Uh, I'm, they're not going to get the Chiefs full effort. Let's just be real. 
the, the Chiefs are not going to play as hard as they have to this upcoming week. They're not going to win by 40, uh, which they probably could or should. And they're going to be looking onto that next game. And that is the type of stuff that gets teams knocked out. I understand we had a whole extra week to prepare for whoever we were going to play. It still gives me anxiety that we might be looking forward a week and, and not truly focusing on Trevor Lawrence and the Jags. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I think, you know, the bye week and everything, I, I expect a good, a good run here from the chiefs. I honestly, I, I'm pretty, I'm not quite set on my prediction for the podcast to do for Arrowhead pride, but probably thinking 28, 10 chiefs. Like I, I'm liking the chiefs. I'm liking them pretty big. A lot of reason for that is, is playoff football is just different. And the Jags are a team that have been playing playoff football for about six weeks now. They've had to win every single game that they've had to play. And they've, they've, they've beat some decent opponents. You know, they beat the Titans, they beat the Cowboys. They've, they, they, they've beat the Ravens. Like they've had to play some good teams here down the stretch. At some point, I think that that tank runs empty. I think they had to put every single thing that they had on the field on tape against the Chargers to win that game. Coming into Arrowhead after a bye week, in the cold, it's a little bit of a different animal. I did do a little bit of deep weather dive into the Jags and seeing the coldest game that they played. They've played some cooler games. They played like a 43 game, 43 degree game in the rain. So they're not this team that just hasn't played in any cold weather. But, you know, I, I like the Chiefs' chances here. I'm a little less skeptical now that it sounds like McCole Hardman, or a little bit more skeptical now that it sounds like McCole Hardman is not going to play. But I think the Chiefs' defense, you know, they they've – Really done a good job of getting pressure against the Jags. Um, they had, I believe they had, let me get, yeah. So they had three sacks on Trevor Lawrence that game, or yeah, five sacks, yeah, five sacks against Trevor Lawrence in that game. Um, they, you know, they've, they've consistently gotten pressure. I think the defense is kind of hitting its stride. I think some of the things that Trevor Lawrence struggled with in that game are things that the Chiefs can present problems with, um, you know, locking down kind of the intermediate part of the field. I think you go back and look at that game, probably Legereus Sneed's worst game of the year. He had he was on the injury report that week with kind of a knee ankle thing. I think they probably used Trent McDuffie in the slot on Kirk here, and I, I definitely think that's where McDuffie's playing the best. And then probably put Sneed on the outside with one of the Jones guys. And I, I think the one thing that you just worry about in this game is controlling the middle of the field. That's been a consistent issue for the Chiefs. Uh, Evan Ingram is a good player. Obviously, they use him out of the tight end position and then in the slot and out wide. He's kind of that hybrid guy. And then I thought one of the big things for the Jags was that they were able to keep the run a viable option. Travis Etienne had 111 yards. They really bottled him up in the game that they played earlier in the year. If they can control those two guys, I feel like this game is pretty one-dimensional for the Jags. And I, I just don't think Trevor Lawrence, even though we just saw him do it in a very different situation, I just don't think Trevor Lawrence is coming into Arrowhead and putting up enough points to keep pace with what a, a Chiefs offense looks like in the in the playoffs. You know, and that's Andy in his bag. That's going for pretty much every good opportunity. Kelsey has been on a real pitch count here for the Chiefs of late it's been a long time since he scored a touchdown I think it was the Rams game was the last game that he scored so I'm thinking we're getting good Andy good you know good Patrick performance here I'm expecting the Chiefs to score at least I said 28 but I, you know 30 really should kind of be the threshold I think for them against this defense oh and I don't think that's out of question I think that should be fairly easy benchmark to reach for the Chiefs 
you, you spoke about McCall Hardman. Um, how do you feel about the CEH guy coming back from injury? Because that, that's another thing that kind of, it's not like Clyde is an awful running back, but what I'm afraid is going to happen is you have uh, McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco who are going on these tears, right? Especially McKinnon, who has become the Chiefs' best red zone threat, you know, since Clyde left. I'm afraid that we're, we're going to kind of stay away from, you know, the Rojo rep count for Clyde and bring him back up to where he's taking 33% of the running back snaps. And, and I'm afraid that that is going to somehow hinder our offense um, and take away from the hot hand in McKinnon. Do you have a similar fear or is this, what's the, uh, you know, we, we just, we just ended the holiday season, but what's the scene from Jim Carrey Grinch where he goes, hate, 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 hate loathe entirely <laughs> that's how i feel yes, about the chiefs yeah. like adding clyde Edwards layer to the running back situation not him as the person i think he's a good person but you know i i just if it ain't broke don't fix it and i think you know we even saw a little bit of ronald jones in that game the only thing i will say that i will come clean on is the chiefs really are very one-dimensional in the running back room right now you got pacheco on the field he's caught a few balls but more or less he's in there to run the ball mckinnon's on the field he can run the ball but also He's probably pass protecting or catching a pass. CEH has been able to do a little bit of both. Now, not very well to that effect, <laughs> you know, but I do think, you know, you go back and he's, he has had some good plays, especially in the red zone. Pat has been able to find him in some places. And I do think he runs the ball a little bit differently than the other two guys they have. But Clyde has been most effective as a backup. Um, you know, he had some good plays in the, in the postseason last year. I, I want to see like maybe seven or eight snaps of him total. The last thing I need them is coming in here and, and shoving that down a throat of an offense that doesn't need it. And oh. I, and I think, you know, one thing to that point is Ronald Jones is your immediate Isaiah Pacheco backup, right? If something happens to Pacheco, Ronald Jones gets plugged in that role. He's the same guy, but they do kind of miss that guy that can truly do both. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going to look at the offense this year in the offseason and be like, oh, well, we don't need to change anything at running back. We're set. We've got Jarek McKinnon. we got Isaiah Pacheco. They were both really good last year. When in reality, Jarek McKinnon's a guy who gets hurt a lot and now probably honestly deserves to get pay get paid better than he has been getting paid. And, you know, Isaiah Pacheco's still a seventh-round guy. I think there's a lot of upside there, but you can certainly improve that room. You you still do not have a three-down playmaker, playmaker linebacker or not linebacker, running back. Well, yeah, and they are in a weird situation, right? They, you you explained it perfectly. They're, they're really a two-headed monster, but only one head does this and the other head does that. They're, they're one-dimensional with two guys. Now, I will say that Clyde Edwards-Alaire did have an early season run there where he was the leading touchdown getter for the Chiefs in the red zone. Um, but since then, again, I think McKinnon has kind of picked up that torch and run with it. He's just been so much better. Now, as for the upcoming offseason and what the Chiefs should do, if you don't see a major improvement in the run blocking grade for or the pass blocking grade for Isaiah Pacheco, I don't see how you can legitimately give him um, the type of reps that even I was calling for earlier in the season. I mean, there are some missed plays, missed blocks, uh, just not generally knowing where he's supposed to go or who he's supposed to to get in front of. And again, he I mean, we've seen him catch out of the backfield. I think he does fairly well doing that. 
But obviously, if you have Jarek McKinnon or a guy like him, even CEH, I think that you probably have to roll with him at this point. Now, after this upcoming offseason, we could see a huge improvement. And Isaiah Pacheco is a top five running back in the league that the only problem with him is that Andy never runs the football. But again, unless you are 100% certain that a seventh round guy from Rutgers can make that leap in his sophomore year, I wouldn't hate taking a flyer on some of these guys that are going to be going to be coming up or even drafting another guy. There are, there are plenty of great running backs, one out of Kansas state that we could actually do really well with. So um, now you said 30 points, right? That you think that that's a, a reasonable expectation for the chiefs this upcoming week. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Especially if you consider like maybe, you know, get a couple of short fields in there. It, it's hard, right? Like, Recency bias tells us, oh, the Jags are this team that, you know, scored 31 points and came back. But they're also the team that threw 400, you know, turned the ball over five times. That, yeah. that also happened. Well, if you turn the ball over four times against the Chiefs, you, you got about a 0% chance of making it. Now, it's a little bit different. And that comeback was really weird, considering Justin Herbert didn't throw any interceptions. They didn't fumble the ball. Uh, but, I mean... You give Patrick Mahomes four extra shots at the end zone. He's going to convert about, what, what would that be, 75% of them? And he's going to get three on the other one. So it's definitely going to be a mismatch. Um, again, the only thing I think we have to look out for is the Chiefs kind of, you know, coming in, not really taking them seriously. And, you know, the Jags maybe upsetting the Chiefs. Um, I think that's about all we have for today. Price, is there anything left you want to talk about? No, I think I think we covered it. You know, I think it's it's going to be a, a tough stretch run, right? You know, I think even more interesting would be just you know I know we're really getting ahead here, but just like the potential Super Bowl matchups would be super fascinating, right? You think Chiefs Chiefs Forty Niners again, Chiefs Eagles the Kelsey Super Bowl. You know, I don't think Chiefs Giants is really an option. Chiefs Cowboys probably not likely, but but definitely possible. I mean some really exciting matchups and, you know, whether it's Chiefs Bengals or Chiefs Bills, it's going to be a great game. So just hold on to your butts. Right. I think, I think as a Chiefs fan, you make it back to the AFC championship, no matter what the outcome of that game is, it was a successful season considering what the the mission was set out here. It's been a successful season. The divisional round would be a failure in my opinion. Oh yeah. Well, a hundred percent. I mean, at this point with the expectations we have, I think it would be, um, unreasonable to for them to just lose out this upcoming you know one week after the bye but one more thing I guess I want to get from you we don't get you around here very often so I want to hear I want a clear decisive choice for the Super Bowl before we get out of here who do you have coming out of the NFC Uh, obviously you probably have the Chiefs coming out of the AFC so is there one team that stands out to you 49ers maybe yeah, I, I think I'm going to, I think it'd be kind of fun. And I, I think 2019 rematch Chiefs 49ers, that's actually what I called for on this podcast when we were doing the predictions. Now, it was because I had a lot of belief in Trey Lance and the way we got here was really weird. But I think the Chiefs benefit of having the bye, having, you know, the one seed is just, it's a lot. I think that they they can go and get it done against the team. And I think you get Chiefs 49ers and that that's a game that I, I don't know, man. Like I could see, I could see it going either way. Uh, I, the reason why I'm not picking the Eagles in the NFC is I just, that defense, 
I don't know if CJ Gardner Johnson's coming back. Obviously, Lane Johnson's a big loss for them. They they the the defense is not as solid as it once was. And we don't necessarily know about how good or not good Jalen Hurts looks like. If that offense is rolling, I absolutely think that they can go and beat the 49ers. Again, we talked about the 49ers not really having to face a ton of adversity here lately. But yeah, I'm gonna go Chiefs 49ers 2019 rematch. And I think that would be a lot of fun. See, and and that's where my heart is too at this point. I would have really loved to see a Bucks Chiefs championship. Uh, the only issue is that I don't know. I I just feel bad at writing off the Eagles. They were kind of like my um, young Christian type of team that I w- would watch whenever the Chiefs were playing like absolute garbage. So it it feels odd picking against them, but I think at this point you got to go with the 49ers, right? I mean, they, they just have a star at every level of the defense. They got stars across the board on offense. There might not be a position where they don't have a legit tier one or tier two star on their roster. And when you have something like that set up, I don't care that Brock Purdy was the last pick in the draft. It's so hard to mess that up. Like we saw Skylar Thompson with the bills, uh, K-State player playing in the league against the Bills and still got, what, 31 points? 31 points against them? So it's really hard for the quarterbacks, especially in Kyle Shanahan's system, to mess it up that bad. There there would have to be something crazy um, for them to get knocked off by either the Cowboys, Giants, or Eagles. I mean, something catastrophic, like a Trent Williams injury and a Christian McCaffrey injury and a Nick Bosa injury in the same game. That might do it. If that doesn't happen, I I just have a hard time picking against them. So anyway, all right, Price, it was amazing to talk to you again. Um, Always nice to have you on the pod. And uh, I'll let you plug your socials and then we'll get out of here. Yeah, well, you can find all my work over at Arrowhead Pride. Still on Twitter at Price Hey Carter. Podcast is at Kingdom Keys. Well, I guess it's not at Kingdom Keys. It's just the Kingdom Keys podcast, which you can find on the Airhead Pride stream. We typically drop podcasts the about 24 hours before game time. So listen uh, as you're making your coffee, counting down the hours until the Chiefs play. Awesome, man. Well, we will talk to you guys later. Uh, this has been another episode of Not Just Another Sports Podcast. Thanks, guys, and we'll see you.